Well, welcome back. It sounds like you've made it to episode two. We're here. Episode two. <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, if this is your first episode, go back and listen to Jerry McCaig's. It's fantastic. I know it's our first one, but it is a bloody brilliant episode. Check yeah, it out. Only because of Jerry, not because yeah, of us. Not because of it, no. Yeah. <laughs> that would become evident pretty quickly. Yeah. Go back and listen to it. Um, yeah, look, this is a fantastic episode coming up. Before we get into that, um, was something I mentioned at the end of the first episode, and it's just how you can give us some help on iTunes. Just go on there, give us that five-star review, and leave us a written um, review as well. That's going to help iTunes see that we're a podcast that's worth listening to, and it's going to recommend us to a whole lot more people. It will take no time to do, but it will mean the absolute world to us. So if you could do that, that would be amazing. So, yeah, this episode, Dom. This episode, we're really lucky to have had a chance to talk to Corinne Strading, who is a really beautiful lyrical flute player. Incredible. And it took us many, many weeks to manage to kind of coordinate our schedules to get together. And we managed to record this at the last jar in Melbourne. And um, that's a, they've been a great supporter of us, actually. Um, but we'll talk a bit more about that after. So um, one thing before before this starts as well, just um, so Corinne plays a tune at the beginning here called The Whistler at the Wake. And just uh, just take your time to really listen to this and and, and even, you know, when she finishes, just go back and listen to it again because there's something about about it that's just such a beautiful piece of music, beautifully played um, in a very noisy room. And it's just it's it's just a. If you're wondering why we're doing this podcast, hearing Corinne play that tune, that's why we're doing this podcast. So off we go. Whistler at the Wake. Yes. Well, thanks, Corinne. Um, that is a beautiful tune. Where did you come across that? Um, I learnt that tune um, when I was living in Galway. So I, I lived there for a while in 2005. And um, yeah, it was one of the tunes that was floating around there yeah. at the time. It yeah. sounds um, sounds very good with the accompaniment from downstairs. I should say we're yeah. sitting upstairs at the last jar in Melbourne. Um, and it's student night downstairs, so we have a little kind of interesting accompaniment coming through the floor. I think it's someone's uh, birthday as well. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, giving that impression. So, so wh- what's your what's your kind of origin story for for this music? Like, where's where's the connection for you? Um, I think the connection probably is um, across a number of points, but I would say it started from growing up in a musical family. So, um, certainly on my mum's side of the family just about everyone plays music um so my granddad played music and his whole family were musical and um music was a a part of kind of daily life so when the extended family was all together um we would always sing songs after dinner that was kind of just part of the routine and there's a couple of songs like that we'd always sing this one particular song um that my granddad would learn out of some songbook that we always sang that as sort of like a a thank you to the chefs or a thank you to whoever did the dishes and so that was kind of, it was just a normal thing. And um, my parents also started a folk club when I was, um, I think it was the year I was born, actually. I don't remember life without the folk club, so that was always there. <laughs> and so the first Sunday of every month, the, um, the folk club would be on and they'd have artists from all around the world would come and perform. And, you know, I'd lie on the floor near the front and just kind of soak it up. That must be the way to do it, right? Yeah, well, I, I think... What sort of 
drew them to that because because you think about I think about a folk club and I think about that notion of having music around all the time and it's beautiful, yeah. but I also think then a folk club is like a lot of work. What moved them to do that? Well, I think that the family is also very um, community minded. It's kind of a really important thing for for all of us. You know, it's about kind of building communities and connecting people. So I think that was probably part of it too that they really wanted to. Um, bring people together and they loved music and it sort of seemed like a good thing to do and it was also um, that it's in uh, um, country Victoria so yeah whereabouts so um, well the folk club happened in the Tyres Hall so Tyres is a really little um, town sort of on the edge of the Latrobe Valley but I grew up in Tarelgan which is a a bigger town Um, and yeah people from kind of all across the valley and other parts of Gippsland would come um, and lots of people got involved in the club as well. So I don't think it was a hard undertaking. It wasn't a big challenge because people wanted to start something and get involved. And um, so all my dad had to really do, I think they sent out a newsletter. when, Or, like, you know, <laughs> the, or the first one was like, who wants to come along and be part of this music club? And, and everyone wanted to be part yeah. of it. So <laughs> it wasn't that hard. Yeah, which presents a problem in itself, I guess. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it can do, yeah. But um, it, it was such a good place to grow up, I think, um, and, and did all of you take uh, all of the children? How many is in your family, children? So I've got um, my twin sister and a, we've got a younger brother. Right. So, and so yeah. all three of you took to it because I've yeah. played a bit of music with your brother and yeah. he's, like, he's a lovely fiddle player. Yeah, but I'd say like, it probably took him... Um, well, it didn't take him longer to take to it because he always played music, but I think um, for me and my sister Nicola, music was just always a priority and present in our lives. Um, Whereas perhaps for him, like he was really sporty, so he had these other interests and would do these other things. Whereas for us, like our, our whole kind of friendship group revolved around playing tunes together. Right. Yeah. Are there? I mean, excuse me. When you're talking about um, acts coming to the to the foot club, are there particular uh, people who you remember seeing and thinking, yeah, like blowing your mind kind of thing? Yeah. Yep. There's quite a few, but I think probably um, there's one that I remember really clearly and that is Andy Irvine so I remember the first time he came to the club and um, I was I think the first time he came to the club I was really little um, and I don't remember that one so much but then I remember being a little bit older and him coming and, and I was sort of old enough and I was interested in the music enough to have this sense that this was like an important person who was coming here and um, and then when I was 13 so I was going I went to school in Melbourne I went to a music school in Melbourne at the VCA secondary school so um I was catching the train up. Every Monday morning I'd get on the train and go to school um, and then stay in Melbourne during the week. Anyway, this whole um, thing had happened for Andy. So he was on his way to the club and he had a car and um, the automatic gearing had stopped working. He's written a song about it since. But um, anyway, so his car, he basically kind of ended up having to reverse into Trelgan because no other gears would work on the car or something. and, And then he caught the train back to Melbourne with me on Monday morning and we had this great conversation and it was kind of totally life-changing for me because he's just kind of he's ta- describing his life and talking about how amazing being able to travel around and play music was and the kind of connections he made with people through music as well yeah. and I was like that's so cool <laughs> so there's there's a couple of things about that which the reason I sort of choked in my paint there was we were driving down in the car and uh, Darren was saying, okay, so Corinne is quite cool, so like lay off on the Planksty references, lay off. <laughs> and here you go, you go with Andy Irvin. So, um, so it's, it's funny as well because um, you know what uh, Andy Irvin's song, uh, O'Donoghue's, yes. which is an amazing yeah. song, and it's this encapsulation of a moment in time in Dublin when he was kind of, he realised this is kind of what I want to do, yeah. right? And it's yeah. it's a beautiful notion to think of you guys on the train and that yeah. kind of switching yeah. to you and something happening to you that's yeah. sort of... Yeah, and then when I um, when I went to Dublin when, when I was 21 um, and I was going over with my sister to go and live in Ireland for a little while and learn as much of the music as we could and um, the first session we got asked to kind of fill in for someone was in O'Donoghue's in Dublin, oh, yeah. I was like, ah, oh, this is O'Donoghue's. <laughs> That's pretty cool as well. What was, what's the name of the tune that he wrote about the, um, with the car? Oh, I can't, remember, I can't remember what the name of it is. Um, it might come to me, but um, yeah. but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, 
it's a comedy, really. It's a song about, yeah. And I think it might have been that he'd had the same experience a couple of times, but anyway, that was one of them. He was trying to get to play at the Gippsland Acoustic Music Club and the gears stopped working, the transmission stopped working on the car. So that's, uh, that's funny. So, so, so there's, a, there's a, a moment for you. Yeah. What happens next? <laughs> <laughs> after um, after that conversation well, so with Andy, um... look, I suppose there were a few um, a few things that happened. So, one was um, I, mean, I grew up going to folk festivals as well. Yeah. Obviously, it's part of the process. And um, I remember going. It was uh, maybe that same year or the year after. Um, it was around about the same time, and um, we were at the Malden Folk Festival, and. Um, yeah, I was just starting to kind of really get into Irish music and um, starting to understand what my parents had been going on about for so long. I mean, because it had always been part of my life, but I think, I, you know, you take it for granted when you're a kid and then you sort of hit your teens and you start realising that maybe you can own it for yourself. You know, maybe this can be part of my identity. And so I was kind of just at that point. And um, I was at Molden Folk Festival and some um, friends who were also in the Gippsland Acoustic Music Club, so adult friends... Um, I could see them talking to this uh, teenager who looked about my age, right? And I'm kind of, and she was wearing a spider bait t-shirt, and they were like, you know, pretty cool band at the time. Yeah. And I'm kind of going, oh, who are Ken and Julie talking to? You know, I could see this person; she looked pretty cool. Um, she's wearing a t-shirt of a band that I liked, and um, which was like, you know, kind of cool as well because I'm at a folk festival and someone's wearing this kind of, you know, grunge, '90s grunge band t-shirt. Anyway, it turned out that was. Um, my friend Kat, and so I, I didn't know her. Then they introduced me to her, and she lived in Mildura, and her parents had also started a sort of folk club kind of thing and ran a festival up there, and, and she was she played the fiddle. So um, we met each other at Modern Folk Festival and, like, you know, kind of shyly played a few, like, the few tunes that we knew together. And um, then... I don't think this would happen anymore, but we became, like, pen pals. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> So, because we lived, you know, on, on opposite sides of the state, and um, so we started sending each other mixtapes of, like, basically, like, taping off our parents' vinyl and stuff, yeah. you know, and it would be, like, all Planksty oh, and yeah. Silly Sisters and, like, all that kind of folk revival stuff. Yeah. And, um, and like, uh, we'd write out tunes that we'd learnt and send them to each other, and so we are kind of um, sharing the music that way. And I think connecting with someone who was my age, who was interested in and like sort of exploring the music at the same time was um really important if that yeah, hadn't it's happened invaluable. yeah because like, that would have just sent you on that like the tingles go off and you kind of yeah. once you meet that like-minded yeah. same yeah. age yeah i mean like i have my twin sister so like i, I mean i can't be <laughs> you know, I, I did ha already have someone but um but i think to have someone else who wasn't in my family yeah. and who i could connect with was really important yeah. yeah so let's have another let's have another tune is there a tune that kind of um from that period or who you, you know. well there is there's this there's a tune and i was just trying to remember it um so there's a tune that cat wrote um around that time but the question is going to be whether i can remember it because i haven't played it for a long time but if i can't think of that i can think of another one
beekeeper. Bee so, bee what's Kat's full name? Just so we give her her full credit. Kat Moser. Kat Moser. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. So, um, what's the flute you're playing? Um, this is a flute that was made by um, a friend of mine, Michael Grinter. So, Mike um, is was from um, Tuton in Central Victoria, and um, started off as a reporter maker actually, and then um, over the years sort of branched out into making flutes for Irish music and. Um, very quickly became one of the best makers in the world and it's not just me saying that there's lots of you know big names and great players who play Mike's flutes and um, and love them so yeah what is it that you look for in an instrument so I I, I, I know of him and his and his reputation what is it that really um, yeah. makes those that's a great question. I mean, I suppose for me, because I just I knew Mike my whole life, and so um, there was probably never any question about what flute I would play. You know, how did you how did you know him? Did you just know him through uh, the scene? Yeah, just said, sort of through yeah. the music scene. Um, I mean, but like he he used to perform a little bit as well, and I remember him coming and playing down at the music club, and he was also involved in helping run a few kind of events around the place, like the, um, the Tuton Folk Festival that has now become Newstead, but he sort of helped out when it was at Tuton, and. Um, yeah, so I just kind of always knew him. And, um, yeah, so it's hard to say whether I would have played a different kind of flute if I had have had the opportunity to play a different kind of flute. But, you know, growing up in rural Victoria, there weren't too many Irish flutes around. <laughs> so um, knowing someone who made them was like that was really the only exposure I had to them. So, um, yeah, but, I mean, like what I would look for in a flute now is... Um, I mean, this, this is um, a flute that has kind of... A narrower bore and it's um p- perhaps takes a bit less air than some of the you know you can get these big um the Pratt and copies have got big holes and it's a, a much more open bore and um so the flute players that kind of tend to have that really powerful kind of huffy sound often or but or just a really big tone um often they'll be playing a Pratt and copy but they take a lot of air um so whereas these ones I feel like you can get a very focused sound and um and I like that about them. I like that you can sort of get this um, a, a round kind of tone quality to it that without kind of having to... You, you don't sacrifice the, the tone to get a big sound, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Are, are, there mo- are there moments when you're playing where you're just like... where you can feel that in, in the instrument? You're just like, this yeah, is yeah. just... Like the... I, I don't know if it's the elasticity that it gives you or just the way that it fits you and all, all those kind of things that sort of combine <laughs> yeah yeah and I think as well I mean the thing about the flute I remember um when I was a kid and um my parents got a copy of that album music at Matt Malloy's you know that one they record the session I mean it, that's just such a iconic album um and that was probably around about that time that I was starting to get into tunes and um I remember reading the there's all there's heaps of liner notes in there and all these descriptions of the the session and the different people that come in and out and the recording process and I remember reading it and um, I think it might have been Peter Horan or anyway one of these great flute players is talking about um, how temperamental the flute is and like some days you pick it up and it just sounds amazing and you've got it like it's just there and other days you pick it up and it's like you've never played the flute before like there's no sound coming out and it just and and it is a little bit like that you know that and I mean I think everyone has that experience with music there are some days where you just feel connected to it and it's almost like there's no barrier between your mind and the instrument. And then other days you're like, why is this so hard? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like it's a bit like having children. Yes. <laughs> there's, yes. there's some days where you're like, these are the most amazing, unfolding, mysterious creatures in, yeah. in the universe. And there's other days where you're like, who are why? these? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Did I make you? Yeah, it's kind of... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and both of them are equally beautiful yeah. manifestations of life and being human and being in the world, you know. But it's like, um, yeah. um, and, and I, I do, you know, I love that notion of um, the changeability of um, your relationship with the instrument from one day to the next. And yeah. um, it just, it seems like that's like such an intrinsic part of, of the human experience of making music, right? Um, yeah. So what other instruments do you play? You play flute? Uh, well, I'd say the flute's my main instrument and then I can sort of play... I, I dabble in a few other instruments and I 
don't necessarily say that I play them. <laughs> um, I, can, I can scratch away on the fiddle a little bit, which I mostly do in the privacy of my own home. Um, but every now and then, if there's a really big old-time session, I might feel brave enough to bring it out again. Yeah. Um, and I play a bit of guitar, you know, and um, I play in this band, Honeyfields, with my sister Nicola and um, Kat, who I was just talking about earlier. And the, um, I might play a bit of guitar on some of the songs in that, but I rarely do that on my own. Like, usually I would have um, either Kat or Nicola is also playing guitar or Nicola plays bazooki, so there's another stringed instrument for me to kind of hide behind. <laughs> um, yeah. You, you mentioned old time, and I suppose it's, a, it's definitely something I'm interested in, being a five-string player. Like, I, I'm trying to dip my toe in, in playing Irish, and obviously the five-string is not the instrument for it, but persevere anyway. What what would you say are the major differences? Because I, I, I think for a novice, someone who doesn't know any different, looking at both genres, you might kind of just put them in one barrel and say, yeah, they're the same thing. You straddle both or have straddled both. What are some of the major qualities that you kind of say, well, look, I find these are the differences. Maybe from a musicality point of view being one point, but also a uh, cultural... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think um, from, a music, from a musical perspective... Um, I mean, it's just those classic things. Like, the, I'd say the rhythm's very different, so that you might even have the same tune that's played in both traditions, but just the way that you would approach it musically um, with old time, it, yeah, the, the rhythm will be different. It's perhaps a squarer rhythm. Can you give me an example of that? I mean, I'm putting you on the spot here, and I don't know if you can, but, like... Um, there is a tune that I just thought of, and, you know, I was just talking about music of Matt Malloy's, and there's a tune that's on that that... Um, is played in both traditions um, and on in the Irish tradition it's called the Pig Town Reel I'm pretty sure and um, in old time I think it's called Wild Horses I might have that wrong um, I've heard it as the Pig Town Reel in old time as well yeah, so, so I think it does get yeah. Yeah. but anyway so I'll see if I can um, if I can remember it <laughs> and um, I'll try and I'll try and do it's, it's hard as well because like obviously a big difference would be that you would almost never play old time music on the flute like ever like it's because old time music is string band music so it's like all strings and so um sometimes people say to me like just like bring your flute out and I just like I just couldn't bring myself to play flute in an old time session ever because it, I mean, it doesn't it's hard to get it to sound right yeah. but it also just that's part of the like even you're saying like people within the community would say play and even for a banjo player, yes, it's banjo in Irish music, but it's a dip because it's a different banjo, and as you said, the rhythms are different. I was just at a, a session last Saturday, and it was a fiddle player. He's an Irish fiddle player, and he came along. And as far as I could tell, he was well-versed as an Irish fiddle player, and he was sitting in an old-time jam, and he was, he was just barely <laughs> keeping his head above water. And I was kind of, For me, I had a bit of a, what is it? Why do we think it's so similar, but it's... So yeah, it's different. So different. They're, yeah, they're they're not the same. No, it's, yeah. I, I guess that's yeah. just. And if I, I mean, I could just play the start of this tune, I suppose, just to try and demonstrate it because I think it does sort of sound different. But um, so if, for the Irish version. <laughs> And then, um, let's see if I can do an old-time kind of version of it. It's going to be hard. Um, I think it would just we would have a lot less ornamentation, so it'd be like. I still did a little couple of little cuts in there. It's hard to play the flute without um, doing that. I'm not sure if that demonstrates yeah. it accurately, but it's just sort of that. I think it's the old-time versions are generally paired back a bit. They have a lot less ornamentation generally, although some old-time styles... Because I think that's the thing, it's the same as Irish music, isn't it? Like, there's, you've got this whole massive country and... Um, well, area of the country, and depending on where you are, people are going to play a different way. Yeah, um, yeah so there are some qu quite florid old-time styles, but I'd say generally it's kind of paired back a bit. The rhythm's a bit squarer. Um, it's yeah. interesting as well, like the the, um, the the notions of rhythm, the the idea that that, that a rhythm within a session can be, and uh, within a set of tunes in a session can be elastic, mm. or 
less elastic, I yeah. guess. You know, I mean that's really fascinating. And, and the, the other, oh, sorry, uh, um, the other, the other notion about um, so Darren took me to a bluegrass festival. I'm rubbing my head as I think about this. It was great. It was great. It was actually fantastic. Last weekend, and I'd never off. been, I'd never been to a bluegrass festival before. It was yeah. a bluegrass old time festival, and um, the the old timey sessions were like a whole other. Yeah, whole other animal right <laughs> yeah they're massive and a set goes on for 15 minutes yeah, well, and i think this thing is like it's not even a set so they'll just play like you play one tune and it's almost you get sort of into this meditative zone i find you know because you're playing this one tune for 20 minutes sometimes it's like saying the know, rosary it's yeah just <laughs> but it's it's actually yeah it's it's a really different way of connecting with the tune i think it's like to play the same tune with so many other people yes. for so long, <laughs> and it's really different to have. It's a very different it. social experience. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I do love that, and I and I I do love the notion of like what happens when you take Irish tunes and do that with Irish tunes, and like yeah, um, how does that change them, and yeah. how does that? And I think I mean it does happen sometimes. Like I've been particularly at festivals. You know, um, you go to the National Folk Festival in Canberra and end up in this session with you know twenty people, and. Um, and the energy is just there. Like it's, it's everyone's primed for it. There's just this really good energy. There's a, a core people, a group of people in the middle that um, are really tearing into it, and everyone else is kind of joining them. And you might play a tune for a really long time. And um, yeah, and it, so it does happen sometimes in Irish music, but I think it's just not as common. And certainly, like the way I would play most of the time in sessions is with a small session with maybe three or four people, and um, you play the tunes like three or four times each. And it's a very, just a very different energy to it, but it's still great. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I suppose we're looking in Australia to that extent because you have all these um, smaller musical genres that get lumped in together. So often you have the bluegrass with old time with Celtic, and it's all in that field. Yeah. So these lovely things can happen and yeah. come out of it. Yeah. Yeah, and they sort of that like instrumental folk music that they yeah. <laughs> just, just put them all together. Yeah. You're all yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah. So, and tell us about your time in Ireland. So you went over there just for the music? Yep. Yeah. So when um, when I was I was about to turn 16, um, mum and dad took the whole family over to Ireland, and we were there for I don't know a couple of weeks or something, and went to the um, Willie Clancy Week, did the classes there. That was sort of you know again just building on that enthusiasm for the music and um so then um then when I was older I, I really wanted to go back and just spend that time and, and heaps of my mates who I was playing music so by that by the time I got to kind of 18 19 I was hanging out in Melbourne with a lot of other people my age who also played tunes I found this whole kind of crew of people that were weirdos like me you know and that Tell was us about kind that. Of, like, what, well yeah that, like? that was that was um yeah, that was just amazing, you know, like I could never, growing up in Trelgan, could never have believed that there was this kind of, that that could ever happen, you know, that I could have <laughs> um, a group of friends that all played the same music as me. And How did it happen? Was it through uni or was it uh, No, that was organic? just through folk festivals and that kind of thing. So like everyone had just sort of connected over the years and, um, and then I, yeah, so I'd been going to school in Melbourne but wasn't really connected with the music, with the Irish music scene here um, until I was in my late teens and then um, I met... Um, a fellow called Ben Stevenson who um, plays in a band called Trouble in the Kitchen and it just so, so I was going to school at the Victorian College of the Arts secondary school and it just happened that at that time Ben was studying film at the VCA as well so we'd met at a folk festival or a music camp or something like that and sort of discovered that we're both at the VCA and he was just sort of getting into the flute at that time as well and Ben is just like an absolutely outstanding musician I mean you probably heard him play now, but because he, he plays guitar um, with a few outfits, and he's also playing flute with Trouble in the Kitchen, and yeah, he's amazing. Um, and so I was just really lucky because we were studying in the same place, and we'd sort of meet up after school, and he'd teach me all these tunes on the flute, and he was really kind of my first flute teacher. You know, even though I'd been playing the flute for years, but I'd been playing classical flute and other bits and pieces and so then I suddenly had this person who could show me how to do the proper ornamentation and was teaching me tunes and um yeah so then I'd say Benno then kind of connected me to a whole bunch of other people who were all living in Melbourne and like you know it's like because they're all a couple of years older than me they're all already kind of in these established share houses and like staying up all night playing tunes and so where was, was the scene like, <laughs> um it was mostly up around kind of 
Northcote, um, Brunswick Northcote up there. And um, yeah, so then when I was, I finished secondary school and um, my sister moved up to Melbourne and we got a share house ourselves and kind of joined that scene and, um, and had a few kind of golden years of just, yeah. Is that scene still, is there still a, a seam of um, that? Oh, yeah, look, I'd say it's still there. I mean, there's definitely a younger generation that's that's also kind of Taking on the doing it. For yeah, you. like they're doing the all-nighters now because I can't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, we're obviously all still mates, but um, it's that ebb and flow. People move away, everyone has kids, and, and things kind of change. But we all still play music together yeah. when we can, and um, those connections are still there. You know, like the, those friendships that you make through music, I think, um, are always... Um, they've got this other layer to them don't they it's not just kind of like someone that you just know and chat to because you're connected in this sort of almost deeper way because you've been able to play music together and share that yeah Absolutely. so we can either go back and, and i'll ask you more about ireland or if you if there's a tune from the melbourne days or something around there we could we could grab look at my, look at my list what's on your list yeah oh these are just they were the sort of tunes i was thinking of that i quite like but um What's a really Melbourne-y one? Oh, actually, so I'm, I'm not actually playing any tunes off the list because I'm thinking of all these other ones that... Um, so there's one that we, like, everyone always used to play all the time back in those days, um, which I think is still a pretty pretty popular session tune um, called Tom Ward's Downfall. Um, so maybe I'll play that one, if I can think of it. Um, do you want me to play a little bit first? And... <laughs> That's a Melbourne classic. That's a Melbourne classic. Even though classic. it's actually, you know, from Ireland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was a tune you would just be at every every session back in there. Yeah, back in those days, all the time. I mean, we wouldn't play it that often now, and that's the, you know, the way of things, isn't it? All right, so <clears throat> what what's take, what take, what brings tunes kind of in on the tide and then out again? How does that, how does that happen? Is there... Um, yeah, I think there's a whole, a whole bunch of factors, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, yeah. It's, like, you know, I think I was just saying to you before we started recording that a couple of mates of ours have just come back from living in Ireland for a year and, and I think those kind of things, like they probably bring a tune, tune in and it might be one that we all used to play years ago and suddenly someone reminds you of it. Um, a new album comes out and it's got a tune on it. And, and so sometimes there's kind of new tunes that are coming in that you haven't heard before and then other times it might be one that you've just sort of completely forgotten about. And I think the other thing is just sometimes something random will happen like you know this conversation that we're having today and these tunes pop into your head because someone said something that reminds you of someone that reminds you of something else and yeah, yeah. and and I think when that happens as well like I'll go to the session on Friday night and I might play a tune that no one's played for a few years and then we might yeah that'll remind someone else of it and then they'll play it next week you know and then then it comes back in because everyone's kind of got it back on in their head again I, I, I love that notion of a, um, tunes almost as being vehicles for time travel you know yeah, just like totally yeah that's yeah. kind of awesome yeah, yeah and, it, and 
that's what I um, one of the great things about playing in a session, isn't it? That you, someone will play a tune that you might not have thought of for a while, and as soon as you hear it, it's kind of like a smell. You know, it takes you right back to maybe where you first heard it or first learnt it. That's your line, Don. You're always yeah, talking about the smell of well, music. Well, that, that's yeah. kind of... That, that was my experience. So we're, we're in the last jar, and um, as I was saying to you before we started, um, uh, in trying to reacquaint myself with playing and reacquaint myself with Irish music, I started coming to the session here on a Wednesday night and sitting in the corner quietly and just <laughs> listening. And, and I, I remember as clearly as anything just sitting and feeling almost like I was 16 again. Like, I, partly just because I recognised the tunes, but I also, um, even beyond the specific tunes, I recognised the sort of um, the ambience, the sound, the, the the kind of acoustic of this music in a place with yeah. drinking going on and and stuff. And then also I had this also personal feeling of like, oh my god, I I sort of half know a fragment of that tune that it's kind of flying away in the wind. You know, Just to get for some perspective, how long had you not been in that environment? So when you're in America, how long you, you oh, so did, in those environments? I, I, I didn't. Um, I didn't really play much in Scotland either when I was living there. So it was probably about 15 years yeah, since right. I'd played for you know in bands and stuff and things. So that's so, a good time travel. It's a good, it's a good time travel. Yeah. Like, like I just yeah. said, it is yeah. that emotion. Oh, yeah. the wasted years. <laughs> You've so many more to waste. Don't I know. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah. Anyway, so I yeah. probably went on a bit long there, but uh, but it was no, uh, yeah. it was intense, like, yeah, you know. Yeah. So take us to Ireland. You went over there. Oh yeah. Was that, was that with the um, my fault? Was that uh, <laughs> was that something you went over to, like a course or a, to go to college, or you go and live, and actually just try and play as much as you could? Yeah. So what it was was a so I had, had this crew of mates in Australia that I was playing tunes with and a number of them had had this experience of going and living in Ireland for a while and and just being immersed in the music and like all you do it's like eat sleep and breathe music and probably pints as well but mostly music <laughs> and um and so me and my sister thought I want to do that that sounds pretty good so um we finished we both finished studying. Oh, no, maybe Nicola wasn't finished. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I was finished studying. That's the important thing. In 2004. So then 2005, we thought, right, let's go. And um, we had some mates who'd spent time in Ennis, but we also had a, a really good friend who um, spent time in Galway, and she, she was like, you've got to go to Galway. It's a place to go. And, oh, and some other... Um, there were some sisters from Galway who'd been... Well, actually, they were originally from Milltown, living in Galway, had spent um, a year or two in Melbourne as well so we had sort of some connections in Galway and thought all right that might be a good place to go and play a few tunes and you know see what we can do and um so we flew over and we landed in Dublin because we had a friend there that we could stay with for a little while and so we landed in Dublin and um met some people on the like first day or the second day and they were like oh um like they're all musicians they said oh we've got these mates in Galway who are looking for they've got a spare room if you want to move in so we're like oh yeah sweet that sounds pretty good and it turned out that um and it was very lucky because the the landlord was um mary shannon who's a banjo player she's sharon shannon's sister and she um ran a session every wednesday i think it was in those days in um coley's t coley in um, galway and um and then the one of the people living in the house was a, a fiddle uh, maker and player Paul Bradley who's just amazing like he's a fantastic fiddle player and so we were so lucky because Paul just was like he was very generous you know he'd sit down and play tunes with us he'd bring us in to play a tune if he, if he couldn't run a session he'd get us to do it introduce us to all these other people who were playing and um so even though, like we had a couple of connections in Galway already but then we just had this kind of in with um you've been very lucky with the people you just ran into yeah yeah so and fantastic yeah, so we, we were so lucky to, to have that connection with Paul because he taught us a lot about music. And, and you were um, plugged straight into the, the scene. Yeah. Not, you're on, you're, I know you already had people there. But, yeah, yeah but, but yeah, we were kind of... Because I think it, it can be hard going over as an Australian and kind of being like, hey, mate, do you mind if I come and play a couple of tunes? And you can just sort of see the fear in everyone's eyes, which is sort of understandable because <laughs> it it's become like this sort of music tourist destination and, and people do kind of lob in with no idea about kind of how to... Um, be respectful in yeah. in a session, you know, like it's kind of 
I'm just going to sit down and play a million tunes and yeah anyway so we were, we were really lucky because um, it meant that we could um, sort of overcome our Australianness a little bit and not have to spend a lot of um, anxiety and energy and time kind of proving ourselves we could just sort of be there and learn straight away which was really lucky. Is there a name for that like going to Mecca is there a nickname for people going? <laughs> the pilgrimage. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Just I haven't heard it yet. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, like a lot of a lot of people. I mean, obviously, there's people all around the world who play Irish music, and a lot of everyone wants to go to Ireland and mm. learn how to play it. It's yeah. a common story. Yeah. People. But what do you yeah. like? Aside from the the frequency of sessions and and the availability of of good players, I mean, what do you get out of that? Like, what, when you come back to Australia. What's changed for you mm. from seeing and hearing the music, hearing the music in situ, where it comes from? Um, that's a an excellent if question. Yeah, yeah, I mean, no, I, th- I, th- I think a lot does change, you know, and I think perhaps, um, well, I mean, there, there's quite a few things. One really tangible one for me was that perhaps before I went, I was, um, I loved playing like those kind of funky new tunes that were like, you know, there's all these kind of like flashy bands that were coming over to Australia and you'd like learn all like you know fluke or whoever and you like learn all their tunes and and um and everyone was playing those tunes and interestingly in Galway a lot of people did play those tunes in the sessions but by the time I got home I kind of hated those tunes and like all I wanted to play were kind of those beautiful old tunes that are, are simple and don't have those don't have syncopated beats and aren't kind of trying to be flashy and so I think I don't know what it was about being in Ireland that made me appreciate those a bit more perhaps just hearing them played so well everywhere you know um but yeah but by the time I left I was fully sold on the trad rather than the new trad <laughs> yeah um, yeah I, I find that um uh, 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 my uncle plays a button key accordion I refer to him often in this he played in a cultist group in our time since about 1979 like he never missed a Thursday night you know and I would occasionally come back from university and go and play and he would always be like yeah play too bloody fast you know too fast the rhythms are too stretchy whatever Um, and it's taken me till, till now to to really appreciate what he's getting at, but yeah. maybe that just comes with age, you know. You kind of yeah. you you want to kind of fuck about with yeah. stuff when yeah. you're young, and then you realise that actually the source is kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah. is where it's at. Yeah, and I think that is part of it. And and you know, in terms of the other stuff that you maybe bring back or or just um, absorb, I think it's. Um, Perhaps like a little bit about how, like connecting with other people through music. Like not that we weren't doing that already, but it's perhaps you start to appreciate different aspects of that. And um... so, so one question then would be like, you know, in in the the sort of uh, um, I was about to say something that made me sound very old there. Like in this crazy world we live in, with all the internet technology, like. <laughs> No. What's the point of going to Ireland? Like, yeah. um, I mean, you've just answered that, but mm. but still, like, everything is available. Yeah, although you know, like in two thousand and five, there was no social media, no. and um, we didn't have the internet yeah. in our house. And you know, I, I think we would sort of we had a, one of those phone card things because like mobile phones kind of weren't. Uh, I mean, they were mobile. We mobile phones existed, but they weren't kind of the way they are now. There were no smartphones, and so I think that it did feel a lot further away. Even then, like, you know, 2005 doesn't seem like that long ago, but actually it was a while ago. And I think, um, it, yeah, it, we, we didn't have the same ways of connecting with it. But I think also just, like, being there and being present and um, being surrounded by people that it's just, like, it, like, it's been part of their life since they were conceived, really. You know, like, that's it's, it's a very different thing. I think you could you only know? get a diluted... Like yeah. in this net day and age where we are now yeah. with the internet and everything, yeah. it can only be a diluted version because you would end up getting a fragment from here, a fragment yeah. from there, and then you're going to sew together this tapestry of yeah. what you think it is. It's almost like a, a version of what it might be, whereas yeah. you, as close as you can get to the source, yeah. that's what you're taking with you. Yeah, and you know, like I, 
I think it's also like, and this story is going to lose a little bit of um, meaning because I can't remember who said it, but I, there was like some philosopher or someone who talked about um, art and, and I think it was about paintings in particular and that photographs of paintings kind of, each photograph of a painting detracted from um, the essence of the painting. And I think it's kind of like that, you know, that like you can hear, you can hear something through speakers or you can experience it through a screen but it's not actually the same as connecting with it in a, in a physical space and, yeah. and and connecting with like musically connecting with that person who was also playing music yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. so so where's music now in in your life right um yeah it occupies a very different place in my life because it used to be like my entire life it was just like 100 percent music um and yeah now i work full-time and i cycle a lot and I do like other things um but it's still obviously really important to me and so I suppose now um like I try and play most Fridays and if I don't get to like I notice that you know I notice that when I come back to it it's harder you know I feel like I don't feel that same ease with it and um yeah so um I try and play most Fridays in the session at the um Drunken Poet and then you know I, I try and get along to festivals where I can as well but festivals these days because I'm I'm also getting old you know they're invariably disappointing because it's like oh the, the sessions just aren't as good and you know like you just can't find the space to get that golden moment of, of a tune that you're looking for and so really the ones that I love are like you know every now and then someone might sort of invite everyone around to play some tunes in the living room and you've got sort of four people sitting around just playing tunes in a quiet space like, perfect oh, sauce for a festival <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah beautiful well um do you want to do another tune well sure and i have, um, I have another question for you after this but okay um what about i'll play um a classic flute tune so this um when, when i was younger and i was first getting introduced to the, to the tunes um there's a fellow called andy rigby who's um been around the kind of Melbourne or the Australian scene for a long time. Um, anyway, Andy uh, gave me a tape that he'd recorded when he was in Ireland um, of a bunch of flute players playing at Joseph McDermott's Wake. And Joseph McDermott was um, a very well-known flute player from Sligo, I think. Um, and anyway, this is a tune that Joseph McDermott wrote, and it was on that tape. I learned off. But anyway, I'll just play the tune. We'll just call it Joseph McDermott's. How about that? <laughs> given that we've just been talking about what a social experience playing music is but it is so uh, lovely to be able to hear you playing on your own it's so beautiful absolutely so Corinne thank you so much yes thank you thank you fantastic well that brings a tear to me actual (laughs) tears tears. thank you real tears And it's only episode two. Yeah, I wish I wish it meant something. Getting tears from Dom, as you'll find, he tears up at the. I am uh, a crier. He is a crier, which yeah. is a lovely thing. I'm not a very, I'm a cold-hearted 
It's cold as ice. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not really. Yeah. So uh, thanks very much to Corinne for that. I mean, there's no, uh, you know, thanks isn't a big enough. It, that was that was awesome. And thanks also to the last jar and to Chris Fitzgerald, who've been a great supporter of this podcast from day one and given us um, given us space there to record and uh, just generally being very welcoming, and very accommodating. So Chris and Jody and everyone there has been has been fantastic. So. Yeah, you should check out their, um, they've got two great sessions which happen, well, a minimum of two, Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. So if you're ever in Melbourne, check out The Last Jar because they're honestly brilliant, brilliant sessions. So before we go on, um, as you may know, the early days of a podcast like this, uh, it's like when you put a baby out on a mountainside. Or, well, not that I've done that. Uh, yeah. that. <laughs> you babies on how many mountains? <laughs> but um, at this point, uh, the most valuable thing you can give us is a good five star review. Even if you think you know the Just musicians are worth five stars, but those two maybe one and a half. You yeah. know, go for it. Give it a five star review and a and a couple of words in the review. <laughs> yeah. Give us the five star review. Tell us the f off in the written part, but yeah. <laughs> just give us the actual five stars. Brilliant, and that'll be brilliant. That that does something to um, to elevate us in the in the from the great morass of other uh, podcasts. So that would be fantastic, and that would be lovely, um, yeah. almost as lovely as uh, just getting a chance to talk to these musicians. Yeah, and look, don't be afraid to share us around your friends too. Like, I honestly think this this podcast, the community itself, it's built on community. Like word of mouth is the thing which is going to make this thing a success. Like Facebook and all that stuff is one thing. That's great. Share away. But if you know someone that you think will like it and you're sitting having a beer or a coffee, mention it to them. Because I know if, if, if Dom, if you mentioned it to me, I'd be straight on it because you, you took the time to mention it to me. So, yeah, look, tell someone. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cheers. Thank you. Good luck. I'm gonna eat um, an apple. Please get give Dominic and Darwin five stars. Thank you.